Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. I've been in church more than 20 years. I'm going to say 10, 20, yes, 30 years, 40 years. I want you to just count in your head how many sermons or teachings that you've heard. I mean, just think about it. If you just say maybe a couple, three a week for the last 20 years, you start doing the number. It's, it's a whole lot, isn't it? You've heard some good ones. You've heard some not so good ones. But I, I had the idea that in the title of today's just message, it's real simple, is why we preach. Why do people do this? Why around the world right now are people just like you in churches across the world, across the world they're in buildings, they're in, in, in restaurants, they're in hotels, they're everywhere, and they're doing exactly what we're doing. And my question today is we're going to answer the question, why we preach? Why do we do what we do? And um, if I can take you to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 3, there's one verse in this little stanza Today, as we read, it tells you the reason why we preach, the reason why people are out in Sunday school and in, in the nursery telling people about Jesus, telling them the story of the Word of God. And it's real simple and it's real easy, but we want to talk about it today. If you're there, say amen. As I urged you, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. This is Paul telling a young preacher named Timothy, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command, here it is, is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these, have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Father, again, thank you for this book. Thank you for those that still believe that this book is as powerful as it is today as the day that you, you wrote it. And I pray that once again, it'll build the faith of those who hear it. I pray it'll go into people's homes, people's hearts, and it will help us to see who you are a little better. Help us to love one another a little better and to leave here, God, with a greater purpose and, and desire in this world. So we love you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for this, this, this time today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let me give you just a history lesson, just a backstory about this particular book. It's the book of Timothy. He's a young preacher. He has a father figure whose name is Paul, and he's one writing the letter to Timothy. Paul had been all over planting churches throughout the known world of that particular day. As he had gone to this particular city of Ephesus, he had established a church there, and then he'd moved on to another place to establish more churches, and he'd got wind word back that some that people were teaching some things that weren't right. And so Paul can't actually himself physically go, so he sends Timothy. He's a young pastor, probably his first, I think it's his first pastorate. He goes to Ephesus, and he's trying to encourage him on what to do. He's telling, he said, look, the first thing you got to do, and we read that here, is you've got to stand against those who are false teachers teaching false doctrine. Everybody who stands up in a pulpit to preach the word of God is not preaching Jesus, the one true Jesus. And that's where you and I have to use discernment to know what's right and when it's not right. And the stuff that's right, we hold on to. And the stuff that's not right, we kind of stand have to stand against. This particular line of thinking that was this false doctrine was, was called Gnosticism. 
It was kind of a, a false teaching in the first, second century church. Gnosticism, I did some research on it. After researching for a little while, I realized I couldn't understand anything they were talking about. And when you, when you, usually when you come into false teaching, it makes no sense at all. God is always a God who's a, a simple, simple, isn't he? The, thing, the truths that he has are for, can be understood by, by anybody. They're for the whole world to see. He's the God of light. Everything that God does is out for everybody to see. And so when the thing is, is when we see things that are too complex and only a few smart, intelligent, intellectual, enlightened minds can understand it, that to me many times is it's not something of God. It's something of anti-God. So that's where Timothy finds himself. First church to pastor is one where he's got to go in and, and fix some faulty teaching. This book that called the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a glamorous book. I'll say a word that some people use just to help you to understand. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a gospel that's, that's what we would call sexy. It doesn't jump out at people. It's not something that catches people and, and woos their flesh. It's the same gospel that's been around for 2,000 years. And when somebody tries to change the simplicity of the message of Jesus Christ, go ahead and walk away from it. Because this message of Jesus is the same message they preached 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 100 years ago. It's still the same message, that you and I are born sinners. We are born in a state we need to be reconciled to God. And that we couldn't get to God on our own, but God sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay the penalty so we could be reconciled to God. Be forgiven of our sins, washed by the blood of Jesus, and on our way to a wonderful place called heaven. And it doesn't just stop there. Heaven's not the final goal. There's a coming a day where God's going to restore our, our body to our spirit and our soul. And we're going to come back to this earth and rule and reign for a thousand years in a time called the millennial reign. And that gospel's been preached in 2000s. It's been preached, preached in 1990 years ago. It's still the gospel today. And no matter what people tell you, don't believe it if that's not the gospel that they preach. So here's Timothy, and he's just this young preacher, and he's got to come across and figure this out. So the question that I have is, how do you know if it's preaching, if, if somebody's preaching the right message? And I guess it's safe to say they're preaching the right message if they're producing the right results. So the question is, well, then why do y'all preach? What's the purpose of it? What's the reason behind it? What, what's the goal that we're trying to achieve by preaching the gospel? Sometimes we think we're just trying to produce like little toy soldiers, People that look alike, that say the same words alike, that live alike, that we're just trying to produce just like a factory of people. That's not necessarily what God's trying to produce in this thing called the gospel. And I wish somebody would have preached this message to me 31 years ago because I wasted lots of time going, God, what do you want from me? What are you trying to get out of me? Are you trying to get me to, 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 to adhere to a set of rules like everybody else who try to look as, make us all look and talk the same? That's not what God's trying to do. The Bible says this, he tells us this in our, in our text today. The goal of this command is that of love. And let me give you the answer before we even start. What God's trying to produce in me and you is this one little four-letter word called love. He's trying to get us to love him with all of our heart. He's trying to get us to love, preach with me, each other. He's trying to get us to love people and love, and love God with all of our hearts, our mind, and our souls. If there's anything in this world that the world needs right now, it is a love for the people around us. If there's anything this world needs today, it is a love that, that passes hatred, a love that passes racism, a love that passes every other ill in the world, famine and disease. This world needs the Christian men and women of God to reach out into the world and love them with the kind of love that God loves them with. 
That's what the world's looking for, and that's what God's trying to produce in us today. The goal of this command is love, a pure heart out of a good conscience and unfeigned faith. That's just wholehearted faith. So the question is, is let me back up. So is, is, is preaching trying to produce theology? Is that what God's trying to do? Is he's trying to get everybody the same, to think the same way morally? Lying's wrong. Stealing's wrong. Covetousness is wrong. Is that all God's trying to do? He's just trying to get our faith is basically nothing more than just facts. Just trying to spit out the same facts. It's not what preaching's trying to do. It's why I like our, our JBQ coaches. If you're in JBQ, just raise your hand. Let me see it real quick. Look at those hands. Come on. If you're in JBQ, it's why our coaches, when they teach our kids, they're not just trying to get them to spout off facts and figures. They're trying to get that, those facts and figures. They're trying those facts and figures to get down in here in their heart. And that way they'll grow up and be strong men and women of God for the kingdom of God. It's not trying to produce just facts. And I appreciate that 1 Corinthians says that we all speak the same language. But preaching isn't just trying to produce theology in the people that hear it so that we'll all believe the same thing and we'll all be able to speak the same language. Secondly, this preaching is not trying to produce scorekeeping. Sometimes you can make the Christian faith about just keeping score. How many times did I do this? How many times did I not do that? If I do this more than I don't do that, then I do good. If, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I do this less than I do this, then I'm doing bad. Sometimes we make pre the preaching of the gospel, sometimes it's more than just trying to keep a score about how things are going. Do you know there's something called righteousness that God's trying to produce in us? And if we're not careful, we'll take righteousness and make it into keeping a score. I sinned only two times this week. That was a pretty good week. I sinned three times the week before, so that means I'm getting better. This week I gave $5 in the offering. Last week I gave 10 Last week I did better than this week. My friend, don't fall into the trap of trying to keep score your Christian life. Don't get in the trap of trying to make everything, how I'm doing, how I'm gauging my life as a Christian based on how things are going good or bad. My friend, God's declared you righteous when Jesus Christ died on the cross and you accepted him by faith. There's a $3 word. How about righteousness? Righteousness. What does that mean? God desires you and I to be righteous and has declared us righteous. What does that mean? It means that you passed the inspection. One of the 25,000 jobs I've had as, a, as I've pastored, I've been bivocational, was to be an inspector. And so you'd go and you inspect different types of things, cars and houses and lands and things like that. And the one thing that you would do, you would take your little, your little, your little um, sheet and you would mark everything and check everything to see if whatever you were inspecting passed or it failed. If you hit enough of the boxes, it passed. If you missed it, didn't do enough of the boxes, then it failed. Do you understand that God has inspected you? He's inspected me. And what he's done is, he's, is if you pass the inspection, that's called righteousness. If you don't pass the inspection, that's called unrighteousness. And so what God's done is God's looked at you and looked at me and had to make a decision whether we passed or not. And the Bible says he's declared me and you righteous because of the blood of Jesus. Because of faith in him, not based on what we do, but based on what he's done for us. Does that make sense? The good news, you say, you walk away from here, I passed the inspection because of Jesus. Bible says of Abraham, Abraham believed God and God credited him as righteousness. Abraham just believed what God said. And instead of Abraham having to do all this stuff to pass the inspection, God said, because he believed me, he's passed it. And that set a precedent throughout the history of the ages that God was setting you and I up, that you were declared righteous, passed the inspection because of Jesus and not because of yourself. That's good news. But scorekeeping, it's not what good preaching is trying to do. 
Preaching isn't trying to produce rule followers. It's not trying to produce rule keepers. When I first came to God 31 years ago, I went to a friend of mine who was a minister and told him that I'd walked an aisle, given my life to Christ, and because uh, I, I wanted to know what that meant. I just knew how I felt. I felt clean and washed, and, and just I felt close to God, but I didn't want to know what that meant. He said, well, did you become born again? And I was like, great. What do I do now? And he was like, well, Christians go to church. Christians read their Bible. Christians pray. Christians tell their friends about Jesus. He gave me four things. And I was doing pretty good for the first week. But then I realized that every day I didn't pray. And every day I didn't tell my friends or tell somebody about what God had done for me. And so every day I just kind of had these boxes that I was checking. And some days I'd check them and some days I wouldn't check them. And what happened is I got incredibly frustrated because no matter how hard I tried, I'd never check all the boxes every single day. See, I turned this gospel, this preaching, I turned it into just trying to keep the rules and not nothing else. No relationship with God, no love of the Spirit of God, but just trying to check the boxes. Preaching doesn't do that. Let me say it like this. Good preaching shouldn't do that. We call that legalism. Nothing wrong with those things I just said, but when we use those things trying to stay on God's good side and check the box, that's when they become legalistic. That's when it becomes a problem. There's a, um, we went to, how many came to revival last week? Okay. How many enjoyed revival last week? How many went out to eat with us last Sunday night at their Mexican restaurant? We, um, they don't have Coke at the, the, the Mexican restaurant we went to. And so I have to go get Coke because my wife will not drink uh, Pepsi products. So I have to get up from the table, drive down to the to the gas station where they have Coke and buy her a Coke so I can bring it back in the restaurant. And when, I, and when I walk it back in there, all the people who work there look at me real funny. So I go down and there's a, a, a gas station down the road. And there's a lady, uh, it was in there, just her and I in the, in the convenience store. And so I put my Coke up there and, and just kind of felt that nudge, you know, that nudge when you just kind of want to start a conversation. So I said, um, just asked her a question. I said, hey, you know, my friend. Of course, they always go, who's your friend? And I say, Jesus. And they smile real big. And uh, we got to talking, and she started telling me about another group of people who had come in that day and was inviting her to their church. Now, their church is one that's very legalistic. In other words, they're very legalistic about the way they dress. They're very legalistic about the way they act. They're very legalistic about the way the pastor makes all the people have uh, all, the, all, the, all the main issues of their life. They have to go through the pastor. It's a very legalistic church. I did everything in my power to talk her out of going to that legalistic church. And some people say, that's terrible. You should never talk anybody about anybody about not going to church. Can I tell you, there's some churches that will do more damage to a brand new believer than others. And we got to steer people away from those churches to a place where the gospel is preached. In our Pentecostal world today, sometimes they go from, we go from one side to the other. We go to one side, which is legalistic, or we go to the other side, which is antinomianism. Antinomianism means, real simple, anything goes. Come on, this thing that we have with the Christian faith is a, is a life of balance. And you can get off on one extreme on that side. You can get off on another extreme or the other side. But my friend, the gospel is one that's the gospel of balance. It's one that will tell people to live your life for God. Humble yourself before the, the hands of an almighty God and live for him all the days of your life. Jesus said it like this. If righteousness comes by the law, Christ died in vain. The preaching doesn't produce rule keeping as, as well. Preaching should produce. I've told you what it doesn't produce. 
But here it says there's something that should happen as a born-again believer in God. It should produce a love in people, in me and you. Let me say one more thing. It should produce a God kind of love in me and you. There's lots of different, when I say love today, I mean, there's lots of pictures that can come across people's minds. You can think of, some people, hot dogs. They think of love, they think of hot dogs because why? Boy, I love me a good hot dog. Some people think of romance, the guy, the girl, happy ever after. That's a type of love, but that's not the kind of love we're talking about. Some of you parents, when you think of love, you think about that protective love, that if somebody were to hurt your baby, Katie, bar the door, the person who does it. That's not the kind of love that, that, that you're talking about here. It's not the protective love. It's not the romantic love. It's not even the brotherly kindness love, the love that you have for, for your brothers and sisters. But it's the kind of love that God has for me and for you. That's the kind of love, the agape love, that he wants us to love him and love each other with. And that's the kind of love that's the hardest type of love to love people with because that's the kind of love that loves them even when they don't love you. If you ever want to tackle all the religions of the world, find out what they say about your enemies. If you're deciding whether you're going to be a Christian or not, if you're debating whether you should be a Muslim or a Christian or a Buddhist or any other religion, go and see what they have to say about their enemies. Because the Christian faith is one that has a completely different approach to enemies. Because in the Muslim faith, the enemies of, of the Muslim faith are either be one of two things. They either have to pay a tax, they have to convert, or they have to be killed. It's the only option for the enemies of the Muslim faith. But when you come to the Christian faith, Jesus said something completely different, completely off the wall from all the other religions of the world. He said, when it comes to your enemies, love your enemies. Pray for those who use you. The people who don't see you eye to eye, don't see the way you see, your response to them is not to try to, try, try to destroy them. It's to love them just like they are and pray for them. Listen, I got convicted about this. When I started hearing about praying for my enemies, can I tell you, there's some people that are, that are politically enemies that, in the way I see things. So instead of trying to browbeat them and try to get them to see things my way, Jesus said, pray for them. I'll take care of them. There's people who raise their kids different than I do. People who have a different worldview than I do. People who eat food differently than I do. People that live in a different culture than I do. But the thing is, is Jesus said this, and he put, this, put, put the line in the sand and says, when it comes to people who don't see things like you, don't act like you do, don't see the world as you do, what your job is is to love them like I love them. He gave himself for us. He also said this, this love that we're talking about is a love that, that where he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. See, the thing is, is that the love that this world is, is, is one that where you can love somebody as long as you agree with them. But then when you stop agreeing with them, then you don't have to love them anymore. That you can love people. And just sometimes we as Christians, we kind of fall down. We play that. We kind of do that where we just got to love everybody just like they are just because we're, we're, we're called to love them. And we just fall down dead and love everybody and, and improve of whatever they do. Sometimes loving by somebody is loving them enough to tell them they're wrong. Sometimes loving somebody is loving them enough to tell them the truth. Boy, y'all got quiet on me on that one. When Joseph went to Potiphar's house, you go back to Genesis. He was a young man, and the story's been told. He was, he was spoiled. He was one that probably didn't act, handle some situations right. But the one thing we know about Joseph is that he loved God. And some of you are going back through your mind, and you're thinking, wait a minute. I never read where the jo Bible says Joseph loved God. I know Joseph loved God. Because there was a time that he was going to be, he was tempted with Potiphar's wife. And he made the statement when she asked him, she said, won't you and I just slip off together and not tell anybody? 
And Joseph said these words. He said, how can I do those things to God? See, I love God. I know God's commands and what he says, and I love him so much that I'm going to say no to that because I care so deeply about God. The thing is, is the kind of love we're talking about is the love where you don't have to force yourself to live a certain way because you love people and you love God so much, you just treat them differently than everybody else. Does that make sense? You love people so deeply. Some of your parents love your kids so much. All of us, let me say this, all of us love our kids to such a degree we'd do anything for them. We'd work two jobs. We'd work three jobs. We'd get up early in the morning. We'd stay up late at night. We'd, we'd, we'd keep, keep them well, drive them to the ER in the middle of the night. We'd do all kinds of things because we love our kids so deeply. And God's trying to get you and I to the place where we love each other just like that, where the same love that we have for ourselves and our kids as we have for one another. That's how I know when my preaching's working. When we're fussing at each other, getting on each other's nerves, pulling out every single problem that everybody has, and we're pointing it out, I'm thinking, God, my preaching ain't doing very good. But when we care about one another, and we're taking somebody sick, and we take care of them. Somebody's in need, and we take care of them. Somebody's down, and we're the ones that pick them up. Somebody's discouraged, and we're the one that encourage them. When the thing is, is when we're doing those things, that's when I know the preaching of the gospel is working. You find me a church that's got backbiting, bitterness, and they're always fussing at one another. Can I tell you the gospel is not being preached because it's not producing the right results. The right gospel preaching will always cause people to have the God kind of love one for another. He says, pure, I don't do it because I'm going to get something back from you. Genuine, I don't do it because I'm, trying to be, because I'm being fake and I'm trying to be something I'm not. Wholehearted, I do it truly, not just halfway, but all the way because I truly, genuinely care and love for the people that God's put around me. I'm going to tell you this. I went to this past week, me and Charlie and Christy went to a meeting. They're going to have a, a, a crusade in... in um, in central Arkansas, it's not Billy Graham, it's his grandson, Will Graham. Has the same um, ministry as his grandfather, goes around the world as an evangelist. He's coming, going to come to Little Rock probably October of next year. So we got to sit on the, in on the meeting. <clears throat> and as we sat there and we listened to the different old parts of what they were talking about him coming, the one thing that we realized is if you put something like, like this on, you better make sure that God told you to come. You better make sure that you have a heart and a desire and a love for people. And the one thing that I know, but that I know that when he comes, this man truly, genuinely loves people and wants to preach the gospel to them. It's more than just this love we talk about. It's more than just a love that's in name only. It's more than just a love that's just a love that um, where we say it. It's one that you truly, genuinely love people like Jesus loves people. Jesus loved those around him. He loved those that were his friends. He loved those, even those that were his enemies. Even as he was hanging on the cross, breathing his last breath, he prayed for those and forgave those who put him there. Let me tell you something. At the end of my day, and I don't know what people will say about me when I die. I hope people come to my funeral. I mean, I do. I would like there to be lots of, I mean, I always have it pictured in my mind how my funeral will look. You know, when I see some of y'all there at my funeral, thank you for coming. I see, I see flowers, people bringing flowers like you, like you see. I see lots of food at my funeral. I appreciate that people will come and eat. I see Miss Leanne there at my funeral. The one thing I pray that people will say about me is that guy, he really did. He just really genuinely loved people to a fault. He always gave them the benefit of the doubt. If you walked into his office and you tried to, you know, complain to somebody, he always defended them, always defended them to the point he had to tell them, stop defending them. I pray that people say that about me. I pray they say, man, that guy loved God. 
I mean, it just it was weird, but he just loved God. And I pray that God will say that about you as well. At Bethel, man, they just love people. It don't matter who you are, what creed, what, what denomination, where you are in your life, young or old, they just care about you. When you walk in the door, you just feel that they care about you truly, genuinely. That's my goal for our church. I believe it was Paul's goal for Timothy. I believe it's God's goal for us. And it's my goal for every single person who walks in the door of our church to truly love each other. Let me close today tell you a story of a young man. Hopefully it will illustrate the love that God has for you and me. There was a uh, young man in his home, 13, 14 years old, just beginning to grow to, to a, into a man. And he, uh, one night, he was in his bed, his brothers and his sister, heard a commotion. And as he heard the commotion, the front door crashed and his mother began to scream. His dad began to yell. And all of a sudden, the door to his, his bedroom opened. And one of them pointed, one of the men that came in and busted in the door pointed at him and said, grab that one. And they grabbed him, put, put a, a bag over his head, picked him up and carried him out. He's screaming and yelling. Carried him out of his house, put him in a truck, began to drive off. Got to a boat, put this young man on a the boat. They put him in the hole of the boat with other people, other men. He just smelled, he just smelled just disgusting. He smelled the humanity. And they began to travel through the waves and through, through the, across the ocean. And as this particular man, he just, as he just began to think about all that's just happened, and he's lost his family, carried away, stripped out of his daddy's arms, in this boat with other people. And finally, several days, several weeks went by, and they docked the, the boat in the port. And all the people in the hull, they brought them, and they put chains on them. They brought them all out. They brought them out on the, on the shore, and they lined them up. There was an auction block and a stage set up. And these people, these young men, People walked by and were looking at these young men because they were going to purchase them at this auction. They walked by and they, they, they looked at their teeth, looked at their, had, they had measurements, taken measurements. And there was one man, here's our young friend sitting here watching all this take place. Just his hatred begins to boil up in his heart. And one man comes out of the crowd, walks right up to him, begins to look at him. And something just snapped on the inside of him. And as that man began to look at him, the young, the young boy began to, began to curse the man, began to spit at the man. All that hang, hurt and anger and, and just began to rage and he unleashed on this particular man. He said, I hate you. He said, I'll never serve you. I can't stand to look at you. I hate everything about you. He said, but there was something about this man when he looked at the man, the man just had this look in his eye, kind of a kindness and a gentleness, but he didn't care. So the man walked away. Auctioneer stood up, put the gavel down began to auction off one by one these people. Horrible tragedy. And it got to this one young man, and the bidding began. And there was, you know, they were bidding over here for a dollar. Somebody on this side bid two dollars. And it was a, kind of a lively bidding, and it went back and forth, two, three, four, five, ten dollars. And all of a sudden, in the back of the crowd, there was a man that yells out, ten thousand dollars. The crowd goes, hush. Somebody had just bid something, and nobody was ever going to be able to outbid that particular man. The auctioneer tries to find somebody to bid, but there was none higher. Brings the gavel down, sold to the man in the back for $10,000. The crowd begins to break up. The young boy sitting there looking, who in the world would have purchased him for $10,000? As the crowd breaks up, he looks through the back, and there's a man coming towards him. And all of a sudden, when he realized who that man was, his blood ran cold because he realized as that man came closer, the man that he had spat on, the man that he had cursed, 
The man he had said, I'll never serve you, was the man coming towards him who had purchased him for the absorbable amount of $10,000. And as the man came, he had something behind his back, and he just knew the man was going to beat him into submission. He said he grew closer and closer. As he got closer and closer, the young boy just, just fell. And as the man stood over the top of him, he knew that it was about to come. The beatings were about to come. But the man grabbed his hands and put a piece of paper and put, shoved it in the little boy's hand, closed it up, and stood up. That same smile, that same look in his eye, compassion. The man turned around and walked off. And the, the young boy picked up, looked in his hand at that piece of paper. And to his shock, the paper said, Freedom Papers. The man had just purchased him to set him free. And in that moment, without thinking, in that moment, the most natural thing he could have ever done is he got up from, his, from where he was. He ran to the man. He grabbed him around the ankles. He grabbed him and held on tight to him. And he looked at the man. He said, Master, because you have freed me, I will serve you forever. It is a picture of the life of every single person who's bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. Never has anybody paid such a price for my soul and for your soul. Never has anybody ever with such compassion and such kindness reached out and set us free of our chains and put our freedom papers in our hands and walked away from us. And I'm telling you today, the most normal, the most natural thing we could ever do for the one who has freed us is to say today the same thing to him that that young boy said to that man, Master, because you have freed us, we will serve you forever. Master, because you have freed us, we will love you forever. Master, because you have freed us, we will love those that you place around us forever. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.